Hello there. Welcome back to The Bleeding Truth. My name's Sally McNally. I'm the Irish midwife. And I'm Bridget, Sally's daughter. Well, today we're talking about a very serious subject, infertility. Um, and uh, we, in, in our office where I work, we see women who have this problem all the time. We usually start out with asking them to study their own fertility. We take a history on what their periods are like and if we can identify when they're ovulating. And of course, there's there's little apps on your phone that you can follow along with and, and identify when you're ovulating. And you can check your temperature. You can look at the cervical mucus usually coming up to ovulation time it's a little cloudy and then it gets less cloudy and then the day of ovulation it's clear and strong and stretchy like egg white um, and of course that's wonderful um, uh, sign you know that you're probably ovulating and that's only there for about 12 hours um, and during that 12 hours it's very interesting you might notice that uh, you feel like having sex, you know, that uh, your lover looks particularly handsome during <laughs> that time frame. And you might feel a little slippery when you wipe yourself. It's like more slippery than usual. And you also might feel a little feeling of openness down there. So there are signs of ovulation. And also maybe the day before or during that time frame, you might have felt a little pain from one ovary or the other where your egg was released um, but if a woman says she she's studied her own fertility and uh, things are not what we would normally expect or she has a very irregular cycle we might then go to the next step which is hormone studies we would get labs drawn and see if her hormone levels are normal um, or if one is lacking or there's too much of one and there's like numerous hormones we can look at. We can look at our thyroid gland. We can look at our ovaries. Um, and then uh, after that, we might send her for a pelvic ultrasound uh, to make sure that the structures are uh, normal or that something like a, a tube, and um, her uh, tubes are not blocked. Sometimes a pelvic inflammatory disease can get up into the fallopian tubes and prevent oh, wow. the egg. Yeah prevent the egg from uh, coming down into the uterus. Some women might have huge fibroids where if she did uh, fertilize one of her eggs, it wouldn't have anywhere to settle. There's no soft, spongy part of the uterus to embed. Some, another thing might be numerous ovarian cysts. Um, so there's different things that can cause uh, the, the fertility, infertility. Um, so say if we, we outrule all of that, um, then Dr. Diesfeld that I work with is very good with this. He'll uh, maybe put the lady on Clomid, which is a medication to encourage um, ovulation, to encourage the, the formation of, uh, you know, a little uh, egg. Uh, the next step would be to study the, um, we sometimes actually study the man's uh, or the partner's sperm at the same time as we study her hormones to make sure that the sperm maybe it's count. not her <laughs> exactly to make sure that the sperm count is uh, you know adequate. Mm -hmm. um, I have a funny story from Ireland. I remember when I was working in the gynae clinic over there. Um, 
I worked with a Dr. Neary and Dr. Neary used to be a joker. You know, he's always playing jokes on us, but we got him back and I'll tell you about that <laughs> another day. But <laughs> this day I was kind of a new uh, student midwife and he was doing fertility this day. And um, the, the woman was in the clinic and he handed me a little bottle, you know, like a urine uh, specimen bottle. And he said, go out to that van that's parked in the in the uh, car park and tell that man that we want a specimen of his sperm. <laughs> so um, out I went and this lady, she was uh, one of the travelers. Sometimes we used <laughs> to call them the tinkers. Um, and uh, they, you know, traveled around in these caravans and they you know, but uh, usually they had huge families, you know, 12, 13, 14 children. The caravan was like full of children. <laughs> and this couple had no children. Oh, yeah. So um, they were tinkers. So I went out to the van and I knocked on the window and he pulled down the window. And I said, the doctor says he needs a specimen. And I'm holding my little cup. And he said, a specimen of what? And I said, a specimen of your sperm. And he blew up. He exploded. He started shouting at me and cursing oh at me. Oh, my gosh. That it wasn't him. And get that woman fixed for him quick. And oh. all of this. And I I just uh, turned around and I walked back into the clinic, terrified. And um, when I went back in, there they all were standing at the window, bursting laughing, including Dr. Neary. They were laughing at me because it was like one of those tricks you'd play on the new nurse. <laughs> very funny <laughs> I knew he was going to be blowing up about it yeah oh man oh yeah they were funny another trick they played on me uh, one time when I went to the gynae unit I reported uh, brand new and I said hello I'm Sally Hartigan was my name at the time I'm Sally Hartigan and uh, this is my first day here on the gynae unit and they said oh good you're here go to the lab and ask for some fallopian tubes quick <laughs> and I didn't think and I ran to the lab and I said they need some fallopian tubes quick <laughs> I don't think you can get those <laughs> Oh, yeah. So that showed how much I was paying attention to people. Yeah. Not to me. Um, the next thing we would do after the Clomid, once we get her like a good egg um, and she's ready, she's ovulating, we're sure she's going to ovulate, um, we can try a, in, insemination, artificial insemination, which is to bring mm -hmm. the couple in and to get a fresh specimen of sperm and to spin it uh, with a special solution and uh, then inseminate that in uh, to the uterus. And it's very easy. It's kind of like a oh, procedure, okay. like a pap. Um, and it's like a little pipette and it's it's very easy. And some of the ladies might think, oh, it's so, so invasive. But it's honestly, it's very quick. It's very easy. And we usually get her to totally relax, you know, her body and her mind and to visualize, you know, the the egg and the sperm coming together inside her body. And uh, we do like a little, you know, meditation and visualization with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's very exciting. Then when she comes back, you know, next month pregnant and 
it's it's all very exciting for the whole office. Um, so then uh, after that, so a lady might go for that uh, a few times. And if it's not successful, then, of course, she'll go to fertility specialists who right. would uh, then do in vitro fertilization. Uh, mm. So they would create an embryo in the, the lab and then insert that embryo into her body. And that's our conversation today with this wonderful patient of mine, Nicole. She's so sweet and she's uh, been through this long journey of infertility and she's willing to come and share her story with us. And in the hopes that it can help women out there who are trying to get pregnant and inspire women um, to, you know, keep going, to keep going that uh, absolutely. Yes, that they will be successful like she was. And so thank you guys for tuning in to another episode. Um, please like and subscribe if you get the chance. And if you're on Apple uh, listening to us there or on Spotify, please make sure to leave a review as well because that really helps the podcast out. Um, so thank you guys for the support. and Let's get into it. Yes, thank you. And today we have a very special lady joining us, a powerful woman, Nicole Eberhardt. She is a Venturi yoga teacher here at Grassroots. She is the owner of multiple small businesses and uh, just recently opened a brand new shop and we're all going, yay, you'll have to tell us all about that, Nicole. Yeah. But uh, especially we wanted Nicole to come and talk to us today about a subject that can be so painful for some women, um, mm -hmm. infertility. Um, Nicole, would you like to share your journey with us today? We would love to hear it. Yes, I would love to. Um, and I may get emotional because it is an emotional thing. I already am. Oh, <laughs> That's yes. We'll, we'll work on that. Um, Yes. So I do want to say that my journey is like no one other. So like anything that my doctor had me doing, um, I should say doctors, because there were multiple, um, had me doing is going to be very different from protocols um, mm. or experiences than others. No one infertility journey is the same as the other. Yeah. And one beautiful thing I will say before I start is that the friendships I have gained through this journey are incredible. Well, no journey is the same. There is a tribe of women out there and it is just it's a beautiful thing. Um, so, um, I mean, where do you start? So my journey started, um, <laughs> I mean, when you get your period, right? <laughs> and I yeah. have always had awful, just not good periods. And I've sort of struggled mm -hmm. with that my whole life. Um, no diagnosis on why or how, um, just the solution of good old birth control. And when I got into my 30s, I also only, I made this awful joke my whole life. If my periods have always been this awful and I find out I can't have kids, oh, I'm going to wow. be really oh. What way do you mean awful? Like painful? Or... Oh, great question. Um, very heavy and very mm. long. Painful. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like prescribed Motrin, um, higher doses of Motrin to try to help. Um, super ultra plus tampons my whole life. Um, wow. yeah. And long, unfortunately, very long, um, which come to find out, I did not know this. It's just the phase before your period. I have, my hormones are off. So like I would oh, have this okay. prior right. to that. Interesting. Yeah. 
And Sally's like, yes. <laughs> uh, and, um, and so the birth control, which I'm trying to rein back in right now, actually, if you will, um, to try to help that again, because it did end up coming back after having a baby as well. Oh, bummer. Yeah, yeah. So, so the um, happy ending, though, is that you you did manage to get pregnant, right? And I, do you have, have I do have a very handsome little son, yes. Yes. Um, and so I, you know, spent my whole life trying to avoid these periods and getting pregnant, honestly. Mm-hmm. When I met my husband, we always talked about having a big family. We talked about adoption. We talked about families. We talked about all of it. And, you know, a year into our relationship, kind of recklessly, we said, well, if we get pregnant, I was, I've been there seven years. I'm 39. So I was 32, you know? And so I said, you know, if I get pregnant, I'm going to have the baby anyways. And he said, well, if you get pregnant, I'm going to be really happy. So Aww. we just sort of, about a year, year and a half into the relationship, yeah. stopped using birth control because I also wanted to rid my body of those hormones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I did. And uh, I never got pregnant. And honestly, I don't, I didn't know that I wasn't getting pregnant because there was going to be something wrong. I just thought we were avoiding it like magic king and queen. Like the terrible timing. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, And so I just, you know, and I also didn't fully, you know, I'll say it out loud. I did not fully understand. They teach you in school that you can get pregnant anytime. And really, it's not true. Yeah, it's not true. That window is especially as you get older, the window is shorter. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, it's very short. And so like, I remember before we got married, I was, we had done the deed and I was like, I'm going to do a handstand. You know, I'm going to put my legs up the wall. I'm going to do all the, the wives tales and none of them ever worked. And I don't know that I was ever doing those things at the appropriate time anyways, you know? Right. So it wouldn't have worked. Yeah. yeah. No, it worked anyways, but like, yeah. You know, you think you fully understand how it works until you start trying or until you start tracking and still you, you know, start. And I was seeing Dr. Diesfeld, um, the doctor that works in Sally McNally's office. And um, oh, actually, I should start back. I was seeing a different gynecologist and I had she was like, all right, let's get you pregnant. Let's do some tests. Um, And I went and had the blood work done and never got a call from the office to tell me about anything that the blood work had said. And so I called and this random lady pulls up the information and goes, oh yeah, everything looks fine. And I was like, okay, sounds good. Um, and then month after month after month, cause we had yeah. been married at that point. And mm-hmm. so like month after month after month, it just wasn't happening. Yeah. And so I would call their office and say, can I please come see her? I need to understand what's happening. Um, it's not working. And I would be in my fit of, you know, despair essentially when I would be calling and, um, oh yeah, we'll see you in eight weeks, 12 weeks, et cetera. But I had already been going through this. And when you're going through this month after month, it starts to like really break you down. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I found Dr. Diesfeld. I had a friend who was going there and she was like, go see him. I think you'll like him. And so I did. And they repeated all the blood work and everything. And, you know, he did say some of your numbers don't look awesome, but they're not terrible, you know? So let's, let's have you try a few more months just based on what he was telling me. Um, so I did, and then um, it didn't work. <laughs> and so he was said, okay, let's do, since it's been an additional two to three months, let's do a saline ultrasound. And so that's where they go in um, with, we call her Wanda. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
the infertility community calls her Wanda. She is an internal, a vaginal uh, ultrasound. And it's it's like a wand, a giant wand with a condom on it. And <laughs> I have had so many of those in my life. I thought they were normal for women. And now when I speak to other women about things, they're like, oh, uh, I have to have that awful thing. And I was like, I thought everybody had that. <laughs> Turns out it was just me. <laughs> uh, and so in the saline ultrasound, uh, they put water inside of your um, inside of your vaginal canal into your uterus, and then they put Wanda back in so that they can blow everything up because your uterus is naturally closed. Mm-hmm. Please, Sally, if I have any of this wrong, it's correct. It's great. It's perfect. <laughs> okay. And so the saline makes it like this, and then you can see what's going on in there. Yeah. Um, and so when they did that, they saw that I had what they call synechia, synechia, um, and it's scar tissue that's connecting the sides of my uterus together. To Oh, wow. Yeah. And so um, Dr. Diesfeld said, let's go in and we'll remove it. <laughs> my husband and I called it the slingshot. So like when he would ejaculate, it would just slingshot it back out. So it never made it into the, <laughs> the uterus. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> yeah so we had that done in january i had uh the same ultrasound in november and then in january we did the procedure we wanted to wait to after the new year because i bumped my insurance up because i could tell some things were going to be needed um and so i got the procedure done like literally like january 3rd or something and he he removed all of the the scar tissue and it's not endometriosis that's different oh so this usually comes from either um, abortions or miscarriages. And to, I had never had an abortion because um, I had never been pregnant <laughs> that I knew of. And um, he did say that there may have been chances that I was having miscarriages that I didn't know I was having. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, because there's really that's where they found where those two for that to come from. Um and again, like I said, I hadn't had an abortion and I didn't know that I was having miscarriages. So they removed it and he was like, let's have you try a few more months. So I tried a few more months and that's when Sally McNally came on board to the office <laughs> and I showed up bawling my eyes out. And he said, Uh-oh. actually, the both of them said to me, what do you want to do next? And that's when they offered the IUI. Um, so IUI is essentially artificial insemination, but with your partner or adopted sperm. So it's, it works really well with like LGBTQ families as well, because they can adopt the sperm Mm -hmm. um, and then choose the mother and go from there or adopt an embryo, which is a whole nother thing. Um, and so we did two IUIs with Dr. Diesfeld. Sally was there for them. Um, it was, I thought, I thought she was my good luck charm because she's the Irish midwife and I was so happy (laughs) to meet her. Um, is my, my Irish luck charm those two just unfortunately didn't work um and so I um he said at that point you know it was time to go seek additional additional help and I had had some friends going through it and so I had found um Dr. Bulos he's at Fertility uh Surgical Associates in Thousand Oaks he's really actually, he's kind of world known for his methods and he teaches all around the world. So I felt really lucky, um, to have found him. Now I must say the financial burden started to, um, toll. I didn't even think of that. So expensive. Yes. So expensive. The IUIs, they're great in and outs. 
if you do them with your doctor's office, um, oh gosh, that was a whole other thing. When I was doing them with the doctor's office, I was hearing from my friends at the clinic that were doing them a certain way. And Dr. Diesfeld did his, his clinicals in a fertility clinic back in 1983, which is so incredible. And, um, and so he had like, he had history doing this. And yeah. so what I found was that his process totally um, different from my fertility doctor's process. Neither is right or wrong. Like I said, at the beginning of this, they, everybody kind of has their way of doing things. Um, and so the financial thing started to come into play and I was like, let's do one. We've met with, um, Dr. Bulos, we call him Dr. B and he was like, let's do an IUI, you know, your, your egg number and your egg quality are both, they're not low, but they're, well, they're low, they're, but they're not like detrimental. Like, I think we can still do this. And so we did an uh, IUI with him and, um, in September, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> Uh, in that September, I had gotten pregnant for the first time in my yes. life. And it was, it was the most beautiful thing in the world because I knew it could happen. Um, because I had spent so much of my life thinking that I couldn't, you know, because it just kept not working. And so we got pregnant and we had our first ultrasound and we saw, we saw our little heartbeat yeah. and she, I actually don't know that it was a girl, but. You feel it girl. Yeah, I feel it in my heart. I had dreams about her. I still have dreams about her. Uh, and so she, we saw her heartbeat. And he was like, this is amazing. Everything is looking really, really good. And so we went out and we celebrated and we kept going. And then I went in for my eight-week ultrasound. And when I had gotten there, they handed me, this is how confident they were. Let's just say this. They handed me a, um, like a survey to fill out. Like, yeah. how did you? your service here. Um, and so I like filled it out and then Dr. B came in and, um, Gary was in the room with me, my husband, by the way, he's been through, he has been to every appointment thus far. Like it's, he's been very involved in everything. And, um, and so like, right when they put Wandy in, um, it was just like the room went black. I, it went black. I honestly don't remember really what yeah. he said. And so, uh, they just said, let me know that she didn't, she didn't keep growing. Um, and so, um, again, I don't, I don't really remember what he said. So and I asked sad. my husband. So hard. Really, yeah. And so I asked my husband all the time, you know, what did he say? And he tells me what he said. And then I, I still, I still don't really remember. Wow. Um, and so at that point I had said, I, I just can't keep doing it like this. Um, and with IUIs, the unfortunate part of them, while they are such a great financial option for people because they are so much more cost-effective, um, the success rate of IUIs is like 19%. Um, Gary's sperm, I do want to say, was never the problem. That man, at the age of 40, whatever he is, has incredible sperm to the point where Dr. D. Seld goes, uh, tell me to be careful with that stuff on the around the church. Fours, everyone can get pregnant. I was I looked at him and I was like, hey. and he was like, oh, no. oh. <laughs> oh. I had to. I come from a family of terrible jokers. <laughs> He's so um, funny too. Yeah, like Gary, the first test we had done outside of the office through an acupuncturist. Actually, she had ordered it. Um, he totally botched it and messed it up, and like oh. barely sent. Oh. 
the correct sperm and like oh no didn't transfer it right he said barely any and he still had like millions of sperm and when i say men when they're looking for sperm counts they like to see like at least 25 million yeah <laughs> we're hoping for like one or two eggs you know and this, yeah this is like literally 150 million sperm count that's crazy wow that's great <laughs> yeah he has really it's not him let's just say that um so <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, I had to I had to move it light again. Um, so at that point, um, they said, you know, what do you want to do? And and my fertility doctor actually recommended doing another IUI, and I said that I didn't think that I could because if I got pregnant again, if I do have lower quality eggs, then the chances of it not being successful again are are lower and or are higher. Excuse me. And um. I just didn't feel like that was something that I could do again. And so it's a, an emotional burden. Totally. Like, like yeah. yeah, the fear of, yeah. it, you know, and yeah. that works for people. Like, you know, there are women out here there that don't do any fertility treatments and have sadly repeat miscarriages and they, you know, keep going and that's what yeah. works for them. But for me, it just didn't, it didn't feel like something that I could do. Um, and so I, um, at that point had made the decision to move to IVF. Um, and financially at the time we were, we could figure out how to make it work. Let's just say that. And so, so IVF, we, just to clarify, some people oh, yeah. may not know that's in vitro fertilization. So yes, tell us yes. about that, Nicole. So that is a much more strenuous uh, process and that will only be done by like a fertility specialist. And that um, is entails where um i will say one more thing about the miscarriage i had to wait until the miscarriage had fully um processed yeah moved through if you will um and it took me 10 weeks dear girl i can uh, see the baby did move through the uterus but not through your heart yet Baby's no. still so much there yeah. and it's important he has a shrine in her house Above the baby's yeah. bed, and yeah, we've named her Birdie May. Yeah, she has a name. Um, oh. and yeah, <laughs> and so we say goodnight to her when we go to bed at night. Yeah, um, and um, so it took me cry. like, yeah, I know it's a lot. Um, and I appreciate your heart in that, that you know, it's very sweet because usually when you meet people and you tell them these stories, you get to hear, unfortunately, about all their stories um, yeah. and they're never good. Or they're the stories that say, oh, you know, my sister-in-law did that. And then she got pregnant naturally and she has six kids. Oh. You're like, yeah, I did that. I took breaks. I, I stopped trying. I drank more wine. I did all, I ate raspberries. I put the thing in the corner of the, the baby shoes in the corner of the room. I, I yeah. did all, I did all of I the know. things and they didn't, work you know and so we had made the decision to go to IVF at that point and it took I wasn't able we we lost Birdie May on October 9th um and I found out I was pregnant with her on September 18th and we lost her on um October 9th and so he decided to not do um and this can be sensitive so if it's something that we don't want to talk about just let me know um he decided not to do a DNC. He thought with the way that she had progressed um, from the last ultrasound that it was something that my body could do naturally. Right. And so right. I and had to. 
What is a DNC? A DNC is like a dilation. They dilate the cervix and curatage, dilation, curatage. The curatage is where they just use a little instrument to scrape off the Mm. walls of the uterus and Uh take all the products of conception, anything that is included in that pregnancy. And then the body resets then to menstruating and ovulating. Yeah, gotcha. Um, And so I had to take abortion pills. And I know that's a sensitive thing right now, um, but if not, my body may not have processed what it needed to do to rid those products, as she calls them. Um, And so I got the pills and decided I wasn't gonna do it until the next day. And I went to get a facial that morning. (laughs) I had the appointment and I texted her beforehand and I was like, there was something you can't do um, when you get a facial, when you're pregnant. It's like an electromagnetic thing to help clear out your pores or something. And so I texted her beforehand just so I could rip the bandaid off so I didn't have to tell her while I was in there. I said, you can do that while I'm there. And then she just, you know, sent her beautiful text message and I went in um, and it could take a long time. That's why I couldn't do it after the ultrasound I had because it was later in the day and the pills didn't come. And, um, and so I went and did my thing and in the morning and then like the next four days was just like, it was, I don't know. I don't really remember. I mean, I, re- I unfortunately remember it was awful, but, um, we just, Gary stayed home with me for the four days and we just were in the house while I dealt with it um and then it took like another so we lost her on October 9th and I wasn't able to do the IVF process until December like mid-December that's how long the miscarriage had taken for me wow and it was it was continuing that's why they didn't just stop it you know it was progressing it was just slower Mm -hmm. um and I was actually just talking to a friend I had gone in and I had to do blood draws like every couple days and um with one of the blood draws it was halloween and the girl comes in and i was anxious like every blood draw because i just wanted to see those numbers at zero so that i could move on in my process and she could tell i was nervous and she said did you already test and i said test for what and she said did you take a pregnancy test this morning and i was like i'm not i'm not here for pregnancy test i am here to see if my HCG is lowering because I had a miscarriage and she was dressed as taco sauce because it was Halloween. She was just yeah. like, taco. Oh, yeah. And I was like, I have to tell taco sauce that I had a miscarriage. <laughs> oh, and I was just like so upset because like, why couldn't she have just looked at my chart? You know, yeah. like, what have been there? And, and they do HCG tests there a hundred times a day. And so like, why can't you just take the moment to look or just don't yeah. comment? Don't yeah. ask. They've taken a test. Did she say sorry or anything about that? Or yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah she did. But I did talk to the the head nurse about it. I was like, this yeah. is something that if that would have happened yeah. a week or two earlier, I probably would have lost it. Yeah. Um, but each week gets easier, and each day gets easier. But as you can see, it's still oh so yeah. raw. It's right there. It's right there. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the surface. And so in December, we... But it's um, also, remember, Nicole, it's love in a different form. It's it's love. Yes. And I um, 
I get to carry her with me always. She was yeah. part of my body and my body has changed because she was part of me yeah. or is part of me. Um, she brought so, the good news. You really can get pregnant. Yeah. She brought yeah. that good news to you. She did. And so I um, have learned to be like very grateful for her and what she was able to give me. Started the IVF process and in my protocol, I can't even list off... <laughs> To be honest with you, I can't even list the medications, but you, you take a very large amount of hormones. Um, some of them are to make it so that you grow multiple follicles, which will then hold your eggs. Um, and then there are the ones that follow that have you sort of hold on to that quantity of eggs and let those ones grow and mature. So the way that my doctor does it is he believes is there's quality in, um, quantity, not quantity and quality. That's not the right saying, but like, he's not trying to make everybody get 75 eggs or right. 30. You want like two or, or three good. Yes, drugs. exactly. Yes. So he had seen my follicles and said, I think we'll be able to get nine or 10. And so I, my husband praise him. He was a EMT. So Although I never had to give myself not one shot. He did all of the shots in my stomach and you alternate from side to side and you so pinch it, you ice it. And he did it. He did it all. He did it all for the IUIs and he did it all for wow. IVF as well. And so, and there are like a lot a day. Um, and mind you, this is mid COVID. <laughs> this is all oh, like, wow. <laughs> I lost the baby in 2019. Um, and so in January uh, or in December of 2019, we started our IVF protocol and it, there's over a few weeks and you go in what feels like every day and you get scans to see how the follicles are developing. And that's when they start to change the protocol. So, um, and they're all human growth hormones. So like mm-hmm. it's to get your follicles to grow, it's to suppress your hormones, it's to get them to go back up. You're like constantly fluctuating with the different types of meds. Um, and for me, I was just on the hormones. I wasn't on any, um, intrapolid, intrapoloid infusions, any of that stuff. It was just mostly just the injections. Um, and were your emotions very volatile at that time? You know, what's very interesting, Sally is they weren't, it was like, I had almost, they were, it was like, they were balancing me to do their job. And so with the IUIs, I was on Clomid, um, and it, I had grown like a huge cyst and like all the, it just in my breast. And so I had to have a mammogram in the middle of all of it. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. You get to know that I'm clear cause I am older. So it's yeah. all good. Um, and then the Clomid, everybody was like, the Clomid's so awful, but it just really wasn't that bad for me. And that's the one that they give you just to grow your follicles before an IUI. There's that one and another one that they use for breast cancer. And I cannot, it starts with an L like, I don't know. Um, do you know the other one? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we did the other one with my IUI for Dr. Dr. B, um, the breast cancer drug. And so, it was interesting to see how those two affected me differently, but honestly that those meds and the meds for the IVF, I didn't feel, I didn't feel so roller coasty like yeah. a lot of women feel mm-hmm. with those meds. Um, the med that actually messed me up was estrogen, which I'll talk about when you get on that, but like <laughs> that one got me. Um, and so 
what happens is you, you get you get monitored and then they'll go in and they'll do a retrieval. And when you do a retrieval, you go under. Um, and they prior to that, you go under. No, just kidding. You prior you go under for the retrieval, and they'll also do a biopsy during the retrieval as well of your uterus of the lining to make sure that it's healthy to yes. carry a baby. Gotcha. Um, so to do that, and I'm sure I'm going to miss parts. Just everybody out there, just know that I'm going to miss things because this a point is going to help like, so many women. You know, honestly, yeah, this is yeah. so good. I'm learning so much too. I don't know any of this. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They go in and they do the retrieval where they go in with a tiny uh, catheter and they pull out from the follicles your um, eggs. Mm -hmm. And so he had found 14, um, but only 10 were mature enough to move through the process. Um, and so they take the sperm donation from the partner or the, um, the adoption and they marry it with the eggs. Now there's two different ways that they can do it. They can put it into the Petri dish and um, put the egg with sperm and the sperm can do its job that it would do inside of the uterus there in the petri dish or they do what is called icsi where they inject the sperm into the egg so they take the tiniest oh, wow. of needle with the sperm loaded up and they inject it into the needle and or into the egg and then they they essentially force it to happen so we had eight embryos that we had decided to um send off to genetic testing um, and it takes about two weeks. And so right at the end of that two weeks was New Year's Eve and or the New Year's weekend. And Gary and I were like, I think we got to get out of town. But it was it was mid COVID. And so we found this little place up in Santa Inez and we watched all, <laughs> all of the Star Wars movies. And we um, just waited for Dr. B to call and let us know the results from our genetic testing. Now I will say, um, genetic testing, it does test for a lot of things, but there are things that are new genetic disorders that they don't know about yet or can't test for, or don't know what to look for in the test. Um, and so it's not a perfect process, the genetic testing, but it does, it really does help you understand the embryos that you have, the quality of them, and then where to go from there. Um, and so it was something that we chose to do. Um, so we got the call, we were in, um, Santa Inez, this little house, and we, um, found out that we had two healthy embryos out of the eight. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to know that you yeah. can go from this plethora, um, and if I hadn't tested them, that would be six additional chances for a miscarriage. And Oh, Wow. Yeah. Because there was something very genetically wrong, unfortunately, with yeah. all six embryos. Um, to the point where it was like Down syndrome, trisomies, um, one they couldn't gender. It had been that mm -hmm. um, not good. <laughs> and so they can actually look for the gender as well. Yes. Um, and you can choose not to know and you can choose to know. And at that time... Um, <laughs> For some reason, I said no. Um, I didn't want to know the gender, and my husband was like, "We don't." We don't? And I was like, "No, I don't want to know." And so um, we finished up our vacation, and we were happy to know that we had gotten two. Um, and there are, you know, there are women who go in with all eight and find out that all eight are genetically normal. There, you just you really don't know. I have a friend who retrieved seven eggs. She got three um, embryos to day five, and all three tested healthy. 
Um, and so you just, you just really never know. Um, and her story is her story. So I'm not going to continue on that one, but I just wanted to like show the, the variation. Yeah. It could be different. You can send eight at a time. You can send more than eight at a time, but the price is just very different. So they do like a yeah. chunk of eight and I just so happen to have eight. So we did our eight and we got two and, um, we started the transfer protocol that in that moment, um, because I had already started my period after the retreat. Mm -hmm. And so they said, you know, we may not have your results in time, but we're confident that you at least have one or two, um, that will be healthy. So we can at least start with the transfer protocol or we can wait until your next cycle. And I was like, get me pregnant. (laughs) Need to be pregnant. I was kidding. Um, and so believe it or not that January 18th, um, oh, I do want to say too, when I went in to get my baseline scan the next day, <laughs> um, I gave in and was like, please tell me the gender of the time. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and, um, honestly, there was a moment there of like, I had to process that as well because both of our mm-hmm. embryos are boys. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I really truly believed that I had lost a girl and I didn't this know was that. was your chance for a girl. And, it was, yeah. I felt like I was trying to make up something. So yes, Sally, I yeah. was like trying to get a second chance at her, you know, mm-hmm. had yeah. to process her again, unfortunately, and say like, I'm not going to be able to have you in my arms. Yeah. I can have you in my heart and have you in my life, but it's just, it's, and even if I had another girl, it wouldn't have been the same anyways, because yeah. my girl would have been her own soul. That's right. That's right. You know? Yeah. yeah. So I had my Reiki master come over <laughs> to the house because <laughs> I needed to like I had to shed a lot, you know. It was still very raw. Like was I ready to be pregnant again? Um was I going to be able to do it? And um when I got married, my sister threw my bachelorette party and I'm not I'm not like the bachelorette kind of girl. I'm like let's sit around a circle and make things together. <laughs> we made um we made uh dream catchers and I made mine um out of all this beautiful blue um yarn and it was hanging in the baby's room and um so she came into the house and she helped me clear the energy in the room she helped me clear the the stuff that I didn't need to hold on to anymore I will always her but there was just like the you know the grief and I'll always have the grief but there's just I needed to open the space for this new embryo, for this new baby, this little boy who deserved like a real chance, not mm-hmm. me trying to make up for something, you know? Yeah. Right. And, um, the dream catcher was in the room and at the end she was like, so tell me about that dream catcher. And I said, what about it? She said, well, where did it come from? And I said, I made it on my, my, um, my bachelorette party. My sister had like done all these things and I want you to know that my sister brought a rainbow of colors. She didn't just bring blue. Yeah. Yeah. And you can buy into this or not, but I fully, I fully buy into it. Um, and she's like you, she's like, that was glowing. As soon as we walked into the room, you were weaving your sons together as part of your life with at your bachelorette party. And I was like, Oh God. I love that. I yeah. Love and so, that in the baby's room and she came and she helped me and you know we moved past it I had like the dog's crates in there because they're crate trained and she was like let's move those out let's like this you're 
space. And I had started a company while I was going through infertility called Fiberco. And I make lavender eye pillows, heat pads, yes. and home goods. Like, Oh, wonderful. Um, and so... Lavender is like, lovely in labor. It is. Lavender. Remember I brought the little pillow? Yes. And um, and so I um, had been sewing in there and she was like, you're creating in here, so keep going with that. But like remove the outside stuff. So I would sit in there and I would just sew for days on end. Um, and so I, because it was COVID, so like I wasn't really working as much, right? And so um, we did the transfer on January 18th. And about nine days later, you go in for a blood draw. Now, there are women who test and take pregnancy tests the entire time and watch their line get darker or not get darker. Um, but I didn't have it in me. I was too scared. I have been totally traumatized by pregnancy and ovulation test kits. No yes. more. for me. <laughs> yeah. And so we went in and I had taken the day off work because the studio had like started to open a little bit. And I had taken the day off the work and Gary and I were just trying to keep ourselves busy. I went as early as I could. Um and the nurse was texting me the whole day, like, you're, don't worry, I'll let you know as soon as your results come. And she texted me at like 1230, I think it was. And um, she didn't text me. It was like a random number. And it's mm. it something to open. And now the millennial brain in me, because I don't know how I'm millennial, but somehow I'm millennial, <laughs> was like, it's going to be not good for your phone. To get it's spam. <laughs> sitting at the light to turn into my neighborhood and I clicked it and it opened it and it said, congratulations, you're pregnant. And I just started crying, but we're sitting at this red light and my husband's like, why are you crying? What's happening? I didn't tell him that I had opened it. <laughs> I handed him the phone and he was like, you kind of got to drive. And I was like, I don't, I don't think I can. And when I tell you not the light to stop at, people are angry at the light. <laughs> like pulling neighborhood and I just stop and then we just are in the car together and we're just like hugging and crying and Aww. just so excited yeah. and, and then you do what you can to keep the excitement and not let the fear come in um and part Such of our beautiful moment it really uh, was if only every baby could be welcomed like that huh so great yes that's the hard thing with infertility infertility is you hear these stories of you know, babies who aren't welcomed in, in that sort of way. And, you know, it's not to say that their stories don't matter. It's just, that's what's so hard is, you know, I had to pay upwards total of everything altogether. It was like all the treatments, all the acupuncture, all the doctor's visits, everything was like $35,000 to have this baby. Wow. Yeah. Wow. IVF in itself wow. is is around like 25 to 30. Um, um, you know, you go through your pregnancy and you just hope and wish and pray. And I remember our first appointment, I was like, I got this first appointment because I made it through the first appointment last time. And so I was like, I know that this will be okay. And so, and there was also a comfort in knowing that he was genetically tested, knowing that I wasn't going to, cause most miscarriages happen from a genetic disorder. It's your body saying, it's just not time. This isn't the, you know, the right thing for you. And so your body will rid itself of that pregnancy. And, and so, um, you just do your best to try to stay like positive and say like, my body can do this. My body can do this. Mm -hmm. I made it through the first appointment and it's COVID. So he can't, Gary can't come in with me anymore. Oh. Um, and so they let him come to the transfer. I will say my, 
my Dr. B said, there's no way I'm letting my patient get pregnant without their partner. <laughs> and so able to come <laughs> and you get to watch it happen. They use a small catheter and they put it up. You take a Valium to calm yourself down. Um, and then they put a catheter up inside your uterus. They, the embryologist comes in and says, here's your baby. Here's, here's your baby. And it's, tiniest cell form um and you know was he was hatching at that point because our eggs do hatch our embryos do hatch and never thought of that (laughs) i know right and i remember texting her after and going my embryo was lumpy and other embryos i've seen aren't as lumpy does that mean something's wrong with him and she was like no is more cells like his cells are building up and I was like oh okay thank god um and so big from the beginning (laughs) oh gosh (laughs) um and so he (laughs) he, I'm I'm the eight-week appointment is when you graduate and that's when I would have graduated with the last pregnancy as well and so I did have a panic attack and I texted the nurse and I was like can I please just bring Gary in with me I'm not I'm not doing okay and she was like yes absolutely just bring him in so we snuck him into the room and um, I believe it was the same room that I found out that I lost Bernie May in. And so I was like sweating and it just was a lot. Um, and so, you know, he was great and we graduated and that's when we started seeing. Um, it took me until about five or six months until about viability for me to be like, okay, this is really happening. You are yeah. going to be, he is okay. Um, that's so much stress. Yeah, that's a lot of worry on your shoulders that whole time. Yeah, absolutely. And what about Uh, when you would feel him moving inside or when you could see him moving on the ultrasound? Yeah, each ultrasound just felt safer and safer. Wonderful. Uh, Yeah. And every time he would move and um, I would just feel better. And, um, you know, he wasn't I had a um, is it called anterior placenta? Yes. Yes. I had the one front where you can't like really feel as much yeah. um, and so I felt him I absolutely felt him and he you know he situated himself so perfectly and he grew so perfectly and my pregnancy wow it wasn't easy um <laughs> I would give anything to be pregnant again um I loved it so much I just loved having him and there was a point with this where it became about becoming pregnant and after I had had him after he had come out and there was that whole slew of stuff that happened um I had to like mourn not being pregnant anymore. There was like yes. the part yes. of where I had to be like, right. you did it, but you're no longer that. And while right. I you had a baby who was everything that you worked so hard for, you don't get to carry him and protect him inside of you. Or you don't get to hold on. You kind of have to let them out to go. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Because it, the real goal is to have a baby, but to get to that, you have to get pregnant. And you, so your focus was on getting pregnant. And then once you were pregnant, you loved yeah. it. Yeah. I love you yeah. so much. Um, it's almost like when, when you want something so bad and yeah. you can't have it for so long, it yeah. makes you cherish it even more. so much more all babies are precious but we're inclined to call your your situation we say this is a precious baby when we're talking to each other you know me with dr d or with the other midwives we would say this is a precious baby so that we know the language to speak with you Mm -hmm. so you don't come in and say well your hcg is blah 
we know how important it is yeah. to you. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a sensitive situation. Very. But um, all babies are precious. But, you know, I did end up getting postpartum depression. And I didn't realize I had it until yeah. um, everybody around me was like, what's going on? And I remember a picture of my husband and my son, Jameson is his name, together and like not recognizing, I honestly, either of them. Um, yeah. And I was just, I just had become so numb and it was, you know, his, my birth story was great. The after part wasn't so awesome, you know, losing all the blood and everything. But, um, and Sally, you warned me, you said you've lost a lot of blood. We need to watch out for postpartum depression mm-hmm. because of what your body has gone, gone through. And Gary, and I talked about it all the time and I was like, no, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. And he, you know, yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize he was like, I don't think you are fine. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up going on meds and I'm off them now. I've been off them for a while. And Jameson is um, going to be 11 months on the third. Wow. Yeah. And when Sally says that he is a huge child, um, he's moving into two T clothes. <laughs> he's in the hundred percentile of everything. His dad is sick. So he's a, he's a large, but such a soft and loving kind. Yeah. Oh, little man he's just a little man and he reality is incredible and he's a thinker um like me he we went over to the family's house last night and he it takes him like a good 10 minutes to study everything and then feel full and start playing and i feel like sometimes they're like a why is he so behind meaning why isn't he walking or talking or etc because of his height um He's only 10 months old right now. Um, but then also people are always like, why is he so, you know, stoic? And I remember during the, <laughs> exactly after during the um, parenting classes, they said babies react to things in two ways um, to stress. They either cry the heck out of things and scream their bloody head off or they're like stoic. And that's what Jameson does. And I know that means that he's stressed. So no, I know that means that it's time mm. to protect him, yeah. you know, they keep him close. So he's happy. Um, it's just interesting and so beautiful to like, learn all of these things about him, um, yes. and watch him be his own little person. And I thought the opinions during fertility were awful, but the opinions about parenting are really bad. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> But it is what it is. Every it honestly it comes from like a place of love with people. Mm-hmm. So I'm not. I don't get mad at anybody. I just have to like. I get asked almost daily. So are you going to have more kids? Even mm-hmm. from people who know yeah. what it took to have Jameson, and yeah. we have another embryo, and we absolutely will transfer him. Um, and while if it doesn't work, I will be incredibly devastated. Mm-hmm. I also know then that's our path for Jameson to be our only son, our only biological son. And, you know, from the beginning, Gary and I have talked about adoption, um, but having a biological son or daughter or they, depending on where they grow up in their life um, was what was most important. So for those who are like, why don't people just do adoption? I just don't understand. There's something in a woman. If you want to carry a child, you want to know, some women want 
to carry their own biological child. That doesn't mean that their adopted child will be any more or any less. Just like if we decide to go that route, I wanted to be pregnant. I wanted to carry my own son. I wanted to birth my own son. Mm-hmm. I want to hold my own son, you know? Um, so that's why yeah. I did I, I think that's such an important point that you're making because that's why you went through the journey, yeah. the fertility journey. And, you know, it's easy for other women to talk to women like you and say, well, why don't you just adopt? There's lots of babies. But there's something about carrying your own biological baby. And, of course, yeah. ad- even adopted friends who are adopting embryos yeah. because their eggs and their husband's sperm are not yes. creating and so they adopt embryos and there's still that carrying aspect. There's still that yeah. situation, whether it's a yeah. biological embryo or not. Um, and yeah, and there are women who say, okay, well, I don't want to do IVF. I want to go and adopt. And I have mad respect for that. It was my choice that I really wanted to like carry my own baby. And Jameson and I will now have that. I'm lucky enough to have that with Jameson. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a story. What a journey. Yeah. It's really, really amazing uh, to think of all of that. When you think of all the different steps that you had to go through yeah. like the, from the early years of realizing this isn't happening yeah. the way we thought it would happen. No, yes. Right yeah. to laying in the operating room, seeing your baby being put in there you know, with the help of the doctors. It's so amazing. It is. But it's yeah. so worth it too, right? It's so worth it. I that, And I will be honest with you, by the time Jameson was born, I had to go off work and Gary's in real estate. And it was like not a good time financially for us. That end yeah. of last year when we had him was probably one of the worst financial times we had been in in our relationship. Yeah. Um, but again, I would spend it over and over and over again. And yeah. if like this next embryo doesn't work, do I think I would do another retrieval? No. And not yeah. because of the burden, just because I'm going to be 40. And yeah. Yeah. I just don't see my body going through that again. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not because it was bad or good, or I just don't see my body going through that again. Yeah. Now that may change. You never know. Even though it did put you into some financial hardship. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that you were able to do it. It. Uh, I have met women who can't afford that. There's no way they could ever afford it. And I really wish the insurance companies could reevaluate that because it is a health issue. It's a, a woman's health issue. Um, a lot of women would go that route if, if, if they, yeah. you know, had the insurance to cover it. You know, it is an employer thing as well. Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. insurance companies do have it. It's just the insurance is more expensive. Um, And so employers don't opt for it. Um, Now, there are a lot of the bigger employers are. I know Johnson & Johnson will pay for it. Um, I know Procore Local will pay for it. All of literally all of it. Okay, that's great. Um, So there are employers that will and you can even search. Um, Yeah. A lot of the tech companies who really fight for their employees rights um will pay for it as well unfortunately you weren't in a position for that yeah no wasn't oh well yeah Yeah. you know i worked for a small business and it's Mm -hmm. not something they could provide yeah Um, Mm -hmm. 
Right. And Gary's self-employed. So it just, and it's not to de- as a detriment to the, my employer because I had more, I had more support during that process than I could ever possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, and you know, now her and I are incredibly close I, yeah. because of that. Um, cause we were before as well, but, um, you know, it's something deep to go through. Um, and there's yeah. a community in that yoga studio. And so everybody knew yeah. absolutely everything. And I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't broadcasting everything, but I definitely also wasn't hiding any of it. And so yeah. when I had pregnant the first time I let it, I shouted it out, but that also meant when I found out I had a miscarriage, I then had to tell everybody I had lost the baby. Yes. That's hard. Yeah. Which then invites for some reason, a lot of comments about other people's miscarriages. And when you're already sad, it's hard to take on that additional sadness. And while it does make you phone, because I mean, it's one in four women, one in eight. Yes. One in four, and it's one in eight women who experience infertility. And yeah. those are only the reported births. So there are women wow. before they even make it to their eight month or eight week appointment yeah. or eight to 10 weeks. When do you usually see them, Sally? Is that well, we see them at uh, as, like six weeks. They come in when they know they're pregnant. And then we do an ultrasound around that eight week. That's what it is. But yeah, we think, you know, up to 10% of those early pregnancies are lost and women sometimes don't even know they're pregnant. Yeah. And I, I do, you know, have to go and tell women um, all the time this pregnancy didn't make it. And it's so devastating because they're there excited, just like you're describing. <laughs> and it's so sad. And to go back into their community and their work and stuff and they're grieving. They're mm-hmm. in a state of shock and grief. And yet they're expected to get back to work like the next few days or That's to tough. just get on with it. Church was only just a tiny, but to them, it was everything. They had all of the plans of a full, happy family life with that yeah. baby. Uh-huh. And I understand your grief because I've seen it so many times uh-huh. in, in my patients and I just want to reach through the screen and I just want to (laughs) hug you so tight. Yes. yes. My worry, my worry sometimes is that when we don't get over the grief of a loss, that it carries with us and then we're overprotective of the baby that we do get. Yeah. Um, I saw that in a sister of mine. She did have a baby, but it was a sudden infant death. And then the second baby it was it was so hard because that's still around, you know. It's it's huh. like floats like energy. Didn't know, you know? that. Wow. Little bit, yeah. So that it's it's something that I I not warning you about that, but I want you to to not lay it on your baby's shoulders. Absolutely. You know not that. Very. Um, yeah. It actually shared that with me, Sally, when I came in about the postpartum depression and I like, I understood what I fully understood what you meant. And, you know, we tell, I tell my yoga studio students, like there's a generational trauma that passes from mother to child, mother to child, mother to child. And yes, I'm looking at her. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. It's so true. My mom, I know everything. I know some things about my grandma and 
my grandparents yeah. stuff and you know my mom's side of the family we really don't know much um yeah. and so you know i just I tell my students all the time, just remember when your shoulders and your body just feel so heavy that not yeah. only are you carrying and dealing with your own traumas, you are carrying and dealing with the traumas of your past um, yeah. ancestors. And so I'm, I definitely, I appreciated that story so much because it allowed me to be like, this isn't Jameson's burden to carry. Yeah. And, you know, Bertie Mae has become like a light in his room. I mean, even last night he's teething, so he's not sleeping well. I was trying to get him back down and there was a flash of gold light in his room. And I don't, I cannot tell you where that flash of gold light came from. And, yeah. you know, I believe, I believe it's Bertie. And I've woken up with seeing her over his crib. I've seen her over me. I've seen her. She has a thing above his bed. Um, that my little sister made me that says her name on it. And then I have her ultrasound picture there. And the little uh, dream catcher is hanging in his uh, window in his bedroom. And so, you know, it's interesting because when I go over there, he grabs at it. He could grab yeah. at the drape, grab at everything else around him. But he always grabs at the dream catcher. Yeah. And so they like, you know, good night, baby brother. And I say, good night, Bertie May. And, you know. But, you know, the postpartum hemorrhage was like a release now oh now it's done whoa yeah and but i had carried thoughts and yes the placenta getting stuck was i think a little bit of maybe me trying to hold on so dang hard to it yes. <laughs> um but the thing that was when they took him um, they had is they had to remove the placenta and it was almost going to be like a surgery and i needed um blood transfusions and all of that. I remember when they took him, there was a part of me that like sort of shut off mm -hmm. um, because I was, I was afraid that he was being taken from me. Yeah. And so like, I had to like process that and like, yeah. it was okay. With, he was with dad, you know, it was okay. And I, I got him back. Um, but losing that amount of blood was something else. So scary. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 When he came to talk to me about the placenta and his entire arm was in me to remove it, um, I was a little bit like, okay, all right. Uh, that <laughs> God, it wasn't Dr. Deesfeld. That's all I have to say. He is yeah. a man, at least Dr. Ness, because he is a smaller man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there was a process that I had to go through to when he was taken. It, like, mm -hmm. yeah. it really took me a little bit but it's so symbolic isn't it you were still holding on the placenta wouldn't let go you were like so determined to be a mother I you was. were so determined and you did it you did. did it yeah I and did. you're such a fabulous mother and the, your Thank baby you. is just amazing he's so darn cute I, I hope you send us a picture of of you guys so that we could post maybe a picture of I did. I she, did. She emailed me one. I'll, I'll put it up when we're. Of, oh, good. Oh, this. good. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That one was from Father's Day. So I, and he's curious and he's um, he's not scared of anything. He wants to like crawl on everything and climb and um, do a lot of pull ups. He really, you know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks so much for sharing his journey as well as your journey it's both yeah, of your yeah. journey 
And it's such a hard journey, you know, coming towards each other from different places. Like, you know, he's coming out of where? Where does he come from, you know? Yeah. His little yeah. spirit somehow finds his way into your yeah. egg and the sperm. And at that moment, he comes. It's such a beautiful thing. I, I know I tried calling Bridget you know, early in my marriage and my story was totally different. I got pregnant really quickly, but I remember wanting to be pregnant. Like I know that feeling. I'm like, okay, now it's time. Everything's set up. I'm in a beautiful, happy place. And I did yoga on a big rock down at the beach in Santa Barbara. And I did the deepest back bend I think I ever did right there you know, opening to the ocean and I was calling, you know, baby, come, I'm ready. And I went home and I'm sure I got pregnant that night. That's the opposite end, you know, that's right. The, and I know that women can't help but tell their stories to you. You know, that's our that's what we do to each other. Every single story is important. We have to make room for them all. Like Bridget's journey coming through that back bend means <sighs> much. You know, whether or not it did, I know <laughs> it means as much as Jameson's story. You know, there are women out there that have reoccurring losses and don't end up with any embryos out of their IVF process. Just because I did IVF and got pregnant off the first time does not mean that the next woman will mm -hmm. have this. IVF or that my next pregnancy will even work that the right. next will work we don't know yeah there's no way to guarantee it for for people that are women that are possibly also struggling with this what would you like advise to them going through yeah. something similar because every story is different but um that if they believe that they are meant to carry a child to not stop because, you know, and then I say that and I have a friend who really believes she's meant to carry a child and there is absolutely no way it will ever happen for her. Um, wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so hard to give advice because it is so different and I don't want to say keep believing or um, yeah. just keep trying or stop trying or et cetera, because yeah, like you really just, there's yeah. no predict it or to know and just know I guess just to know that they're not alone and to reach out to a community because it's not something that you can carry on your own I'm so thankful for the women I have met uh in the journey because so don't try to do it alone yeah that would be my um yeah. my thing if there are women listening that want my information and they email it to you please give or email you asking please give it to them because yeah that's my story, but it's not, it will never become a judgment of somebody else's story or um, a jealousy of somebody else's story or, 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 because like I said, they all, every single babies, every single person, every single soul, all of it, all of it matters. Um, yeah. So Nicole, you are strong. You are wise. <laughs> you are woman. You are mother. <laughs> You are so beautiful and so amazing. And I really, really appreciate this story. Thank you. Thank you've you so touched, much. You've touched me deeply. And, like, and I have so many women with various types of stories. But, you know, I, 
I am so grateful for this story. Thank you. And I'm going to share it with everyone. <laughs> yeah, fun. thank you for, for you know, being vulnerable with us and mm -hmm. sharing it to, you know, people that we don't even know who's listening. And I yeah. think that's really brave of you as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. I think yeah. we, us, all women, <laughs> a platform to speak about our stories because yeah. that is what helps... So thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. And um, if you like what we're doing, give us a bit of a review on Apple. That would help us so much. And um, if you come across a subscribe button, press the subscribe button. It doesn't cost you anything. 